0: A reading from the Gospel of John. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish, he did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into the one, also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This is the gospel of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together. Almighty Father, will you show us Jesus Christ? And will you do all things necessary this week to show us Jesus Christ? Make him plain to us. In his name, amen. Please be seated. Well, friends, Holy Week begins uh, tonight. Um, And this service of Evensong is meant to be a little bit like a doorway, a little bit like an introduction, um, a little bit uh, of an opportunity for us to slow down and to prepare to enter this week where we consider very closely and kind of zoom in on Jesus' suffering and his death. Uh, There's a famous... Question If you're familiar with the Jewish tradition, uh, that is asked at a Seder meal, a, a Passover meal. Um, uh, traditionally, the, the, one of the children will ask, uh, typically the father, What is it that makes this night different from all other nights? And uh, that becomes a prompt for usually the, the father to tell the story of the Exodus and the, and the story of the Passover. Um, this Holy Week, I'd like to, if I may, kind of borrow that that question, except modify it just a little bit and, and ask this question. Uh, as we go through this Holy Week, we can ask the question, what is it that makes this God whom we meet in Holy Week different from from all other views of God that, that we might have or, or that might be on offer? When you what I mean is when you look at Holy Week, and above all, when you look at Jesus Christ, what are some of the things that make this God different from any other view of God or the view of God that typically comes to our mind when we imagine who God is? And we'll, we'll ask that question a few different times this, this week, but tonight, I want to begin by just pointing out one thing, and, 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 and that's this. The God that we meet in Holy Week, the God that we meet in the Scriptures, and above all, Jesus Christ Himself uniquely introduces himself to us in the midst of distress. Um, That may sound odd, but if you look at the story of the Bible, it's a theme that comes up again and again. God regularly introduces himself, most clearly, not when uh, we are strong and everything is going well, but instead, God regularly introduces himself in the midst of great distress. Let me show you what I mean. Um, In your service sheets, if you flip back to page four, you know that psalm that the choir uh, wonderfully sang for us. Um, Right almost in the middle line, it, it says this. The psalmist says, I called upon the Lord in trouble, and the Lord heard me and set me free. Now, that verse could almost sum up uh, the entirety of the Bible, and here's what I mean. If you read through the entirety of the Bible, one of the things that becomes relatively clear is that um, you're reading, particularly in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, you're reading a national history of Israel. Uh, It's the story of ancient Israel, but here's the thing that's very, very strange. It's a national history that is just shockingly transparent about Israel's distress and trouble and weakness. Read through the story. Most of the time, Israel is politically weak. Much of the time, Israel is not even independent politically. And some of the time, they are actively enslaved by other nations. They are weak and in distress a great amount of the time. Now, why is that so strange? This is why it's strange. Most national histories kind of paper over the weakness, don't they? Particularly uh, national histories that survive a long time and the people read are usually the histories of those who are strong, those who win. We usually don't read the national histories of nations that are marked by weakness. A little bit like if you walk into a bookstore and you go to the business section, you, you you will not find many books written by uh, business failures, because nobody wants to read a business book written by somebody who didn't win, didn't succeed. Well, it's usually the same in national history. You put forward your best. But Israel's different. In Israel's story, they lead with weakness and not their strength. Why? And not only why do they do that, but how is it that uh A national story that leads with weakness becomes the best-selling book in the history of humanity. How does that happen? Well, it turns out that if you read the Bible again, and read a little bit closer, you'll find out that it is a national history, but more deeply than that, it's the story of how it is that God introduces himself to Israel, and he introduces himself to Israel fundamentally in their distress, and that's why they lead with it. For instance, you remember the Exodus, Uh, the story of Exodus, um, Israel is enslaved in Egypt. And then, and at that, when the story begins, they know almost nothing about who God is. But then they cry out to God or any God out there that might want to listen to them. And, And what happens, the story that unfolds is captured in the psalm. The Lord heard me in the midst of my distress and he set me free. So what you find out is that the story, for instance, of the exodus is not so much just how Israel got political freedom, but rather it's the story of how exodus meets God in the midst of their distress. And interestingly, in that story, the strong people, the, the, the Egyptians, they don't meet God, or at least they don't meet God in the way you want to meet him. It's not the strong who usually meet God. God introduces himself uniquely in the context of distress. Now, Exodus is one example, but the theme runs right through the Bible, which is why this psalm mentions it. Because this psalm, Psalm 118, is is kind of like a national hymn um, because it captures not just one experience, but it captures generation after generation after generation of Israelites who, once again, meet God in the midst of their distress and therefore their testimony can be I cried to the Lord in my distress and he heard me and he set me free. Now, let me hit the pause button there. How does that strike you? It's very important as we enter Holy Week. And I can imagine a thousand objections. I can imagine somebody saying are you saying that I should seek suffering so that I'll meet God, and the answer is absolutely not. Are you saying, I could imagine somebody saying, are you saying that God's only for weak people? I knew God was only for weak people. It's a crutch, right? Uh, to which I would say this, no, on the one hand. But on the other hand, what it does mean for us as we enter Holy Week is that our strength, the strength in our life, our, our abilities the things that make us confident in ourselves, those are not the best gifts God has to give you. We imagine that they're our best gifts, but they are not our best gifts. We cling to them like they're our best things we have, but they are not the best things you have. And part of the reason our strength is not the best thing we have, it's not the best gift we have, is that our strengths, if we rely upon ourselves, we rely on strength, In ourselves, or maybe even in other people, what will happen is that we'll find ourselves kind of numb to our sense of need for the Lord. And in that psalm, the psalm makes an audacious and strong claim. It says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in people, even yourself. But I can imagine another objection, and this one has more teeth. I can imagine somebody saying, You better be careful. If you're going to say that God meets us in the midst of distress, then you better be careful because I'm in, I can imagine somebody saying, I'm in distress right now. I'm in pain right now. Don't you dare peddle false hope. And how could I possibly trust a God who allowed me to go through the pain that I'm in right now? And if that's where you're at, then let me just say that's about the strongest objection I can imagine. But let me just say this. In the Old Testament, we find out that we meet God in the midst of our distress. In the New Testament, and especially as we enter Holy Week, we find out that we meet God in the midst of His distress. This Friday, we're going to consider and just sit with the death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he died, of course, he's an Israelite. And so he's, his death is the culmination of the theme of Israel's distress. And the Bible takes it very, very seriously. But on the other hand, when you see Jesus die, you are also seeing God entering the distress. And therefore, you are looking at God fully entering into all of the distress that we have ever experienced and the deeper causes of our distress underneath. He's entering into all the brokenness of the world that causes the distress we experience. And why is that important? Well, I don't know what you're suffering. I don't know why you are going through that suffering or why you have gone through the suffering that you have gone through, but I do know this, that when you're in the darkness, the people that you can trust the most are those who have gone through the same darkness and have come out the other end. And that's why you have to meet God in the midst of distress, not just your sense of need, but also you have to meet God in him his suffering in Christ Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus upon the cross, that is the only view of God that I can trust in a broken world like ours. And then there's more. Because like I say, I, I, I don't know why you're, you suffer the way you do. I, I don't know why I have suffered the way I have done. But we can know why God suffered in Christ. Because the remarkable thing, you know, I I haven't chosen to suffer in the way I have suffered. You don't choose to suffer in the way that you have suffered. No one else, none of us would. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't seek it. And yet Jesus Christ, remarkably, he chose to suffer. He didn't have to suffer. He chose to suffer. He volunteered to suffer. Why would he do that? Because he was entering into a mission. He was entering into a kind of combat. Not any kind of combat like we've ever seen before. But this week, as we enter into Holy Week, you are watching God himself in Jesus Christ enter into combat with our very deepest, strongest enemies, the enemies underneath all the distress we experience, the enemies underneath all the brokenness we experience, the enemies underneath all of the wickedness we have experienced and which we perpetrate. He's entering into combat with death and with evil. And when Jesus goes into the grave, he willingly enters into the deepest kind of combat there can be, and he is extinguished under the weight of it, but only for three days. And then Jesus comes forth. In the resurrection, Jesus comes forth victorious, and he comes forth victorious in order that you and I, when we entrust ourselves to him, he comes forth victorious to certify and to assure us that that Psalm 118 can be true of us for forever, that we can always know that we can cry out to God in the midst of our trouble, and we can be certain that he will deliver us from all that we fear. It's not that we snap our fingers and all the suffering goes away. No, that's not right. But it does mean that if Jesus is risen from the dead and if we entrust ourselves to him, then he will certify and he will certainly take us. He will take charge of the story of our lives and he will make sure that at the end, the great theme over our story is, the Lord was on my side and I need not fear. The Lord saw me through the valley of the shadow of death and he brought me out on the other side, just like he first went through the valley of the shadow of death and came out the other end too. It means that the distress we experience, the pain and the suffering need not be the final theme of our story. It need not have final say in our story, but rather life and resurrection and redemption and ultimately the joy of calling God Father. That will be the end of our story if we entrust ourselves to Christ. And that may sound audacious. It may even sound offensive. And if that's the case, Then may I just suggest that this Holy Week, you take the camera angle, so to speak, and you just focus on Jesus. You just watch Jesus. And you say, Jesus Christ, I I dare you to prove to me that you are a God that I can trust. And then watch him. Watch him as he goes into the darkness. And watch him come out the other end. And then as you find yourself saying, this is the only view of God that I can trust in a broken world like ours, in that moment, as you entrust yourself to him, this psalm will become your story. I called upon the Lord in trouble, and the Lord heard me, and he set me free. And you will will join in with the long, unbroken story, thousands of generations of people for whom they have found that to be true.